Hey, you know, I keep forgetting to ask you how things going with without your life with without your catheter. Is it uh, are things going? Yeah, bad? yeah. Well, you know, six and a half years. Uh, that's a long time. Wow, it took a while yeah. for that doggone prostate to shrink, didn't it, to get down to the relatively yeah. normal size? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did. It did. It did. And I've 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 reached new vistas. Uh, really? Stream ma- I call it stream management. Stream management. Oh, stream management. That's that's a euphemism for urination, right? Stream management. Yeah. I'll yeah, it's 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 pretty cool, you know. Uh, the get... problem with old men is what happens. We have like multiple streams. In other words, to, in order to, you know, you're standing at the to- toilet and you're doing your business, and you tr- you can't get it done in one stream. You have to wait for the second stream and sometimes the third stream. I got a shortcut. Got a shortcut. Oh, do you? Oh, it's here. I'm all ears. I know. We we exchange data like this frequently. So uh, here's the way it works. As you know, I have a small hernia. And as you know, you had a massive one. And so anyway, what I do is uh, I press on the bulge. And it, yeah, and it it thickens the stream and uh, lessens the number of streams. Isn't that cool? Very good for you. I mean, you know what? Something you could patent that, could you? Something good, right? Oh, hey, listen, but you know what? Let, let's uh, let's cut the cut to the. Let's I'm glad we're not talking stuff. about this on the show because it would yeah. really turn people off. You know they Ooh, they hate this. Bad. The young okay. people in particular. Yeah. Mm. Okay, right, well, I'm ready. Let's make it happen. <clears throat> okay, a little chi harnessing, and I'll be ready to go here. Hey, you're here. Wow, great. It's a show. We got we got a show. We got an episode of The Bro Show. And I'm so glad you're here. And if you're new, John, let's give him a little orientation. What do you say? Sounds good. Oh, but that's my brother, John. We're brothers. That's why we call it The Bro Show, right? All yeah. the way. That's what works. We talk about four things. The first thing we talk about is a story about an animal. Well, what what animal? There are millions of animals out there. Well, we got one for just each uh, series, and this one happens to be the meerkat. Yeah, we have a season, six months long, and this time it's the meerkat. And I think the next one's the rabbit, based on the the, uh, Lunar New Year. So anyway, here we go. We're going to talk. We have a story about a meerkat today that you won't believe. Secondarily, we have a word that we ran into doing doing research for the show. So we have a word. Third thing, we have a two takes, we call it. In other words, John and I choose a topic. We each have our own way of looking at it. We explore those things for about eight minutes, not to be not that we're counting. And then last but not least, we have two groaners. These are bad jokes. Bad jokes. Ooh. Bad jokes or dad jokes? Take your tri- take yeah. your pick. That's what we do. And it's going to take about 25 to 30 minutes. Wow. All good. Yeah. Hey, listen, yeah. Uh, yeah. What yeah. are you wearing? You got anything on or about the belt? Yeah, I do. Uh, but you know, we have a cold us. wave here, John. We have a cold wave. Uh-oh. Maybe the... Yeah. So it's... I'm wearing my T-shirt as, a, as an undershirt. And I have a, a, a long sleeve T-shirt over it. So I am... Wearing the hold on, I gotta look. I even forgot. Oh, geez, this is our Technicolor T-shirt. This is okay. This is the Bro Show Technicolor T-shirt with the color fist bump. Color fist bump. Well, I I I went to the Wayback Machine like you did, but went just a little bit further. 
And I had the Ooh, original. The original. The original shirt, which is the fist bump, black and white, uh, podcasting our way through cancer, age, and loss. This is back in the, the dark teens. Uh, yeah, when dark we were teens. Doing, <laughs> yeah. We were doing our, yeah, we were. All good, though. We're, we're limping a bit, but we made yeah, it. Yeah, but we made it. We made it. All right, dude. So, yeah, you know, people people who want to listen to the show and don't want to go through a lot of hassle, you can subscribe. Just go to www.bro.show. No.com right. or any of that stuff. Dot show. Bro.show. Go there and you can subscribe. It won't cost you a penny. Uh, you won't be pestered. What you will do is you'll get something every Saturday late morning indicating the show is wrapped up and you can listen to it and look at show notes and have some fun and learn some stuff. Maybe. Wow. Yeah. Hey, we we do have a sponsor. Our sponsor is the animal legal defense fund. It's a 501 C three that's been in existence since the late seventies there to protect the lives and advance the interest of critters through our, through their legal system. So they do this by filing high uh, impact lawsuits, protect animals from harm, also providing legal assistance to other litigators and also support legislation to um, tighten up the laws to ensure us that these animals are kept uh, safe. I noticed that they do specialize in all kinds of animals. So quite often you think, well, it's got to be pets or it's got to be wildlife. But they also do a lot for farm animals, which they don't call farm animals. They call them farmed animals. Oh, yes. So they're really big into making sure that a lot of these, the agricultural industry likes to kind of hide their their practices. So they they're for uh, getting rid of what they call anti-gag laws. In other words, ag ag laws, which are laws that uh, that are basically want to make sure that that there's teeth within the legislation so that we can we can reveal and find out some of these bad practices that, that take place in the farming industry. So mm, with regard to animals. Sense. Yeah, with the animals. Yeah. So I thought it was uh, a little bit near dear to what our two takes is going to be. So I thought I'd bring that up. Wow. OK. All little right. Good point. Yeah. Little tease. Uh, yeah. And by the way, they have great merchandise over at their place. Great swag. swag. Oh, of course. Thank you so much. They have T-shirts, real, really yes. cool T-shirts, and their T-shirts are housed in the same place our T-shirts are at, on Bonfire. And Bonfire mm-hmm. is really cool because you can designate a charity or a nonprofit for all the proceeds from the sale of your T-shirts to go to, and that's what we do. So we have all these Meerkat T-shirts and coffee mugs, six different ones that we uh, put together, and they're on our site. And that that link is Mirch, M-E-E-R-C-H, or Merch, either one, <laughs> <laughs> dot bro dot show. Oh, <laughs> so God. It's a little it's so extended. Good. Yeah, it's pretty funny. They're, they're great. They're good looking. All the links and pictures of stuff that we have is at the bottom of our show notes. So you can look at that stuff. And also, head on over to uh, our friends at the Animal Legal Defense Fund. Give them a view. Get the clicks up. And give them some yeah, love if you want to. There's a lot of good stuff there. They do, there they, they, they do great work, no doubt. You ready oh. for the meerkat story? Hey, we got the meerkat story. In fact, you know, we're, our meerkat story is the meerkat radio telescope array. Now, there's a lot of words there that need to be explained. But before we do that, we want to figure out where this telescope is located. And it's right there 
around where the meerkats are in South Africa in the what's yeah. called the Karoo. The Karoo mm. is you don't say like the Karoo Desert because the Karoo is actually semi-arid. So it's got also desert, but it's also got many parts of it which are are uh, you know have habitat of uh, different plants, animals. It's got a great uh, amount of flora, all kinds of good stuff that just scientists kind of gravitate to. So within that Cora, the Karoo, uh, we have the what's called the uh, the Meerkat National Park. The Meerkat yes. National Park is very interesting because uh, it it's it's where we house these telescopes. And what's so yeah. what I think the most fascinating part about the Meerkat National Park is don't make a flight over to Africa to go to the Meerkat National Park because visitors are not allowed in this park. Oh, that is so, so cool. what's so important is that as we learn a little bit more about the Meerkat telescope, radio telescope, we find that it needs to have a certain quietness, it needs to be out in a very uh, alone area, an area that doesn't have much around because it relies so much upon sound or lack thereof in order to operate. So that's yeah. what we've got. We've got what's called the radio telescope, and it is not like the te- telescopes we quite often think of with respect to meerkats, no. the ones that they look out in binoculars, telescopes, et cetera. And perhaps you could kind of explain how does a yeah. radio telescope work? Well, you, you, hit it on, you hit it on the nose. You know, the reason that this telescope array is out in the Karoo it's the same reason that the meerkats are out there. They they don't do so well in the middle of a city and because of all the interference. And so the, these telescopes are the same way. And it's ironic that, you know, they named the telescope after this little animal because it does the same thing that a, that a, a meerkat does. It watches and listens, you know, for anything. And it, meerkats, if you watch a meerkat doing its job, it is a sentinel in particular, they are very alert and they're, they're watching and listening for everything. They are amazing animals. So mm-hmm. these telescopes are the same way. They're radio telescopes. And it's a it's a, a parabola, a bowl, if you will, like you would eat ice cream out of. And it's a bowl facing up toward the sky at heavenly bodies. It's measuring the electromagnetic waves or radio waves, if you will, they're coming off of heavenly bodies, celestial bodies, so that you it can gather all this data and correlate it with the things you can see through regular telescopes, optical telescopes. Mm-hmm. And you correlate the electromagnetic data with what you can see, you extrapolate, and now you're able to reconstruct a visual of what the radio tells you. Got it. So it's, it's a piece cool. of information that's used with the additional information. Before we know it, we put it in, in an yeah. algorithm and we come up with more information. And I think the yeah. key here is to understand yeah. that we're talking, you know, we're, not, we're talking beyond the moon, Mars, Jupiter. We're talking oh, beyond yeah. even our solar system as we're trying to, to learn Deep new space. things about what's out there. Solar. So it's, yeah, galaxy, all that good stuff. No, so, it's wow. amazing. Yeah, well, they, they have projects. If you look at the projects that they've worked on. Uh, it is breathtaking, including, you know, uh, proving, disproving, supporting, unsupporting uh, Einstein's uh, laws of gravi- gravitation and mm. defining gravitation as a force. And what is it? And these are big questions. Are they important? They're actually vital. 
They're longer term questions. You know, they're not like, what's the weather going to be tomorrow? They're a little more, a little more far reaching than that. They help us understand where we are in the galaxy and the solar system and the universe. And that's vital for a number of reasons, you know, practical ones like, is an asteroid going to hit us? You know, stuff like that. And, and, you know, longer reaching questions that allow us to live better and in more harmony with nature on Earth. Now, back to this theme about, the meerkat telescope is like a meerkat in more ways than you might imagine it's out there to avoid emi electromagnetic interference and so Mm. and how does it do that well they have incredibly sensitive uh, equipment out there and one of the things they have to do to process all this data they gather is they have to use equipment to do it that equipment would interfere with the telescopes ah so they put it underground and shielded in a Faraday cage, just like just like our friends, the meerkats go underground, don't they? They have very complex sure rooms yeah. and temperature management, sound management. All that stuff is vital to raising healthy meerkats. And it's the same with the telescopes. Now, when I say telescopes, how many are there? They've got a square kilometer. You know, kilometers is uh, like two and a half kilometers, I think, or something, make a, yeah. uh, an acre. I don't know. I can't get it all straight myself, but or, or a mile, square mile. So Smile, it's smaller yeah. than a square mile, but it's still massively huge. And I think they started out with 64 telescopes. And right, 64 is a big number, yeah. Yeah. And so they have them arrayed in a very regular geometric, geometric fashion, and they use that data. They soak it in there. You know, John, this didn't happen overnight. You realize when radio telescopes started? 1937. 1937 was the first one. So this has been going on, you know, for almost 90 years. It started out with uh, Bell Telephone research. They were interested in keeping the interference with their, their equipment and their transmissions to a minimum. And they started using these parabolas to try and measure what that interference was and where it was and all that stuff. And that's how it all started. And so this is almost a hundred, almost a century of one person standing on the shoulders of another and that group getting larger and larger and spreading from New Jersey, where the labs were, to all around the world, to deep in South Africa. So this didn't happen overnight. And in its tradition, scientific tradition that has allowed this stuff to mature to where now we can see with radio waves where we can't see with our eyes. And it is fascinating. And they named it after our friend, the meerkat, and even patterned it after some of its wonderful behaviors. That's yeah, I can, see, I can see a meerkat standing on the shoulders of another meerkat as we're talking. It's amazing. It's inspiring is what it is. I can see a meerkat standing on my shoulder. I'm looking over at him and he goes, get on to the next segment, idiot. Okay, we got a word. We do our word is arable. A R A B L E. Arable. It mm. means capable of producing crops suitable for farming. Uh, what you're you're doing is you're plowing, you're tilling the soil, making it suitable so that you can plant something. Uh, I remember as a kid, I heard the word arable, and I thought when I went out there and said, "I know what we're doing. We're tilling the soil so we can give it more air." That's what I actually Kinda. thought it was. Kind of. And, and I actually thought that until two days ago when I came up with this word. That's how naive I was. So let's uh, 
Uh, but what it is, it has to do with getting, uh, like I said, uh, land suitable for, for farming uh, uh, crops. Yeah. So here's a sentence. There are three main different types of farms. There are arable farms where you, you plant stuff. There's pastoral farms, which you raise livestock animals. And there's a combination of those two. So uh, that's mm. that's what our word is. Uh, and I actually got all this information because I needed to start with the real basics. I got it from a resource called Twink, a Twinkle uh, USA, which is a teaching resource for kids. And boy, I, that's where I needed to start. I, I started in the first mm. grade when it comes to this. That's for sure. Okay, yeah. And why, one might ask, are we interested in arable land, pastoral land, mixed arable and yes, pastoral land? Why would we be interested in that, John? Well, that happens to be our two takes. And this is kind of an interesting, we kind of backed into this story. We thought we had a story, it had to do with respect to a way that we could raise things with, with using what's called a food forestry, which is mm. uh, a way in which you use native you keep everything in a very native state. So you have you in uh, this native state means that you allow things other than the, the specific product that you're making, you know, grass, uh, different uh, tree, uh, all the way up to trees. So that's the kind of environment which you have it. We thought this is really good. And we thought what we were doing, we were discussing something about, well, and this was all taking place. It, it was in, in the Netherlands. It was Dutch farming, Dutch method. So what we didn't realize, however, that the problem that was being solved here, we thought, was it's giving more food to the, to the Netherlands and also to the world. Mm-hmm. So we realized, however, that the Dutch right now, because of their ability to be very productive as it relates to farming, have you know created it sort of like you're a victim of your own success. And we ran into another little another problem. And what we found out was that the Dutch have you know really created a a need to kind of reform reform their farming. If we take a look at the Netherlands, it's it's an mm. agriculture leader. It's it's it, it's touted with this success story, the ability to take a small amount of land and make the best use of it. So many of the and many of these farms have been you know go generation to generation. So there's a lot of good history, a lot of good success stories. Their ability to produce whether it be livestock or produce uh, plants and, and, and flowers. so great flowers and tulips flowers alone lot much they are the largest exporter of beef or actually produce of in the Europe Either and one. they're the second yeah and second largest exporter of agriculture produce after the US now this is a, it, so this is amazing it comes from a country yeah. that's got what 17 million people and it's the size right. of West Virginia. Right. So we're talking very small. So what we find, however, is because they're doing so much within a very refined area that there have been some uh, it's a very intense uh, thing that they're doing. And then then they've been encouraged by their government to continue through mechanization, this and that to to continue that produce. So Mm. what's happened, however, is it's it's so tight that it's created uh, created issues as it relates to the environment. And the key mm-hmm. one, we can come up with a with something called nitrogen emissions. And yes, what sir. this is, and this is coming from the livestock manure and also the crop fertilizers, which is mm. also manure. So it's not only with the yeah. livestock, but it's also with planting animals, planting 
the, the, the these these uh, these items, and then having yeah. to then put fertilizer down in order to make them yep. grow well. So it, it seems like it seems like a good thing, right? It seems like a good thing, yeah. but it's not. It's, it's not a good thing. But the problem is that the European Union, of which they're a part of, has realized that they have got more emissions per acre or per mile, square mile, than any of the other countries, and they yeah. need to reduce them. And so I think one of the interesting things is that when we quite often discuss, you know, the effect and what there's a lot of things that create nitrogen emissions. They could be industry. Yeah. They could be cars, whatever kind of vehicles, mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. animals. Now, yep. when we take a look at animals, quite often we think of, well, nitrogen emissions. Now, is that the same as methane gas? Don't yeah. think so. It, no, it's it, maybe you could get us to the bottom of that, uh, perhaps. Yeah, it, it's, a sh- it's, shame. it's a shame that, you know, the bad guy in agriculture is methane. And it always turns into a cow farting joke or a sheep farting joke. And yeah. it's not a joke. It, and it's not methane is bad because it, it, it increases greenhouse gases by destroying the canopy that's all around our, our planet that keeps ultraviolet rays from burning us to death. You know, so, yeah, that's a bad thing. But the real bad thing is this nitrogen and nitrogen oxide. These things are toxic in the extreme. They really affect animal life and plant life everywhere, including us. Uh, so it's it's a bad thing. It needs to be it needs to be dealt with. And so the good thing about the Netherlands being such an extreme success story is that they will become an extreme failure story if they don't do something before 2030. Right. Right, this is right around what, the corner. So yeah, that's the deadline the European Union has given them uh, in order to yeah. try to reduce emissions by, I think, down to as fifty percent of yes. these nitrogen emissions. Now, uh, and yeah. uh, the fact is that we've got these farmers. Well, the one of the ways you can do it, obviously, you like I said, you got the industry, you got the vehicles, but they're looking right now at the farmers and what they need to do. And we know that you just can't eliminate livestock because it's a it's a, a it's a means of eating. But what they need to do is they need to reduce a lot of stuff. Now that can be with respect to what you feed the cattle, but it also has to do with respect to maybe reduce the amount of farming that is done in that way. So finding a nice compromise with yeah. respect to this is going to be very very important. And that you know what the answer back. is. You know what the what answer is. is? What trees? Trees is a Trees. big part of it. So you can, you can actually take and rather than having pastures without trees on them, you just put pastures and put plenty of trees because trees are the, the, the plants are the ones who then consume the nitrogen and get that out of this, out of the system. And what we find right now is that there's just too much in the way of nitrogen and all the plants and trees that we have cannot consume what we have. And There's more so, to it, John. There's more to it. Let's more hear it. it. Here's the more. The more is that what does the tree represent? Yes, it absorbs carbon dioxide and it absorbs nitrogen, nitrogen oxide. It gets rid of those things. That's great, but it does much more. There's things called roots. All trees have roots. And roots. when you grow a tree, you do more than grow a tree. You grow mushrooms. You grow mycelium. You grow earthworms. You grow all kinds of stuff that improves the soil so you don't have to use nitrogen-heavy, ammonia-heavy fertilizers. Right. There it is, John. And that gets us you back to the another food problem too. Yeah. If you eliminate these nitrogenous fertilizers, 
that really cuts into people's ability to create bombs. Oh, all yeah. Good. Fertilizer bombs. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know. Oklahoma City, I remember it as a, you know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm creating a really bad joke there. But the point is that things have ramifications you can't foresee unless you really think it through. And this tree solution is a good solution. Now, you could go crazy and just let the trees grow willy-nilly and create a forest, which you need to do. But you can't do that overnight. It doesn't happen. But what you can do is you can plant a row of trees every 300 yards in a big honking field. Mm. What does that do? It absorbs nitrogen, improves the soil, so you don't have to use as much crap on the soil. And you can still use semi-mechanized means to gather your crops. Because before you run, you have to walk. And the walking right. in this case means using some of the existing equipment with, without having to go crazy. You know, these combines, by the way, have gotten huge. We were kids. Yeah. They were, what, 12 feet wide? Now they're right. all 30 feet wide, you know. And you don't need to do that anymore. You can you can scale down, use some of the older equipment and slow down on all this mechanization and get to the point where, you know, I bet 30 years from now, John, a lot of what we see where there's farmland is just going to be nice, manageable forests that grow a whole variety of stuff. And they're already doing this on a small scale, not just in Holland, doing it in Japan. They're doing it in Australia. They're doing it in the United States. Go to YouTube, search for forest, food forests. You won't believe what you see, right? And and actually, that uh, and the one video that you have there uh, is incredible because it shows the ease of which this is all created. It's natural, um, and it's really uh, so. As you've already discussed, it, it's got all these plus. But you're really, it's less work in many ways than when you when you try to to till soil and make it strictly for the, the plants that are going to be producing the food. So, well, yeah, that, yeah, that's one of the challenges is that, you know, the Dutch farmers are so incredibly industrious. They now have to unlearn generational behavior and yeah. learn to play video games. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, hey, watch oh, the, everybody watch the video that we link because it's a great video. It's short. It's not that long. And you'll you'll learn that this guy created a food forest in 12 years. That's, and he started out with nothing. Yeah, it didn't take long. It seems like, you know, 12 years ahead of your life, that seems like a lot. But, you know, think in generations. Think, you know, think bigger, and you'll see that that's a pretty good solution. And they have steps. You can baby step your way into it, too. This is a, good, this is a great topic, John. I got two groaners. The groaners are provided to us by Vincent Anthony Lauder, Jr., and here we go. We had, you know, some political elections all over the country, local ones. Uh, the last couple of weeks. So, so I'm going to give you uh, one with respect to politics. What do you call a close political contest that is decided by the mail-in vote? What do you call a close political contest that is decided by the mail-in vote? I do not know. <sighs> a mail-biter. <sighs> it's very bad. Okay, let's that that. Is, we, can get, oh. we, can do, we can do better than that. Okay, here, here's we? one on. Yeah, here's one on telescopes. What do you call a telescope that keeps running into things? What do you call a telescope that keeps running into things? Let's see. I was thinking of a camera obscura, but that's that. Well, that no, do it. this is pretty. Uh, 
it's pretty simple. Uh, it runs in. It does. Yeah, it it's kind of just runs into stuff. Well, I almost said it. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. A, a kaleidoscope. <laughs> That's a good one. That's excellent. <laughs> excellent job. Hey, I had to add a high note there. <laughs>